0: Welcome to the Business Bookshelf Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. Like you, I'm a lifetime learner and find books one of the best ways to do this. The purpose of this podcast then is to interview authors of new business books, get insights into their thinking, lives, and businesses all in a light-friendly manner. And before we start, can I ask that if you think someone will benefit from listening to a podcast about authors discussing their books, it covers a like a broad range of business-related topics, then won't you tell them about the podcast? And if you haven't subscribed, then consider doing that as well. Today, our guest is Lisa Koss. For more than 25 years, Lisa has been working at the intersection of individual, team, and organizational transformation. As partner and co-founder of Ontus Global, her passion is to support executive clients to dramatically increase their impact through increased self-awareness, resiliency, agility, and the capacity to act wisely and decisively through complex and uncertain times. She's the author of the book, Leading for Learning. People do their best work when they are motivated. This may sound obvious, but while people managers instinctively agree with the centrality of motivation at work and its impact on employee engagement, their practices do not follow. With so much real work to do every day, how can managers also carve out time to learn, engage, build relationships, tap motivation, encourage development, and inspire? The problem is a false dichotomy between the world of business and, and that of people development. What if managers were able to systematically transform everyday business issue into meaningful developmental coaching opportunities with employees at the same time? The book has a proven coaching approach to radically shift conversations away from either all positions and uses an entirely different lens, transforming business challenges by connecting them directly to employee motivation to achieve the desired business result while dramatically increasing employee engagement. Enjoy the interview.
1: Thank you very much, Lance. Thanks for having me.
0: It's fantastic having you. So Lisa, my first question that I ask every guest is where am I speaking to you from today?
1: I'm located in Berkeley, California, which is for those who haven't been here specifically is just across the water from San Francisco. So I can see San Francisco from my house across the bay.
0: I worked for a multinational IT company for 14 years that has cylinders as their head office in San Francisco. So you okay. should know which one it is. Um, <laughs> but I never went to San Francisco. Uh, can I ask you, Lisa, when it's not locked down, what do you enjoy doing around where you live and in San Francisco in general?
1: Well, I was listening to some of your former podcasts that you've done, and you just interviewed Adi PNR. Is that yeah, you Yeah, PNR, yeah, that's right. Pinar. And he was talking about wine tasting, and of course, here, just like in South Africa, there's great wines there. There's great wines here. And one of the things I enjoy a lot is wine tasting and uh, eating good food. And that's also a great, uh, great endeavor here in the, in the Bay Area because we're kind of famous for, for good, good food. And otherwise, I also like painting. And I want to bring that up ah. because I have a little story for you that has yes. to do with the book. Please do. You know, or should we should
0: we talk about it now or during the book? We can talk about it now. Way. That's fine.
1: <laughs> no, either way. Either way. Um, the the cover art on the book itself was a something that I did, which was a quick scribble um, to show the design artist as an, an idea for the book, and she loved it, and it became the cover of the book. So ah. it was kind of interesting how that came about and the painting worked its way into this book even though it wasn't meant to be the cover art but apparently it was uh she liked it so much that she just said let's use this Uh,
0: of course I'm going there straight away (laughs) to Amazon again to look at the cover of your book (laughs) and it's green and orange with blue light blue turquoise
1: yeah it's um the coaching model (laughs) Book has I've I've colored that colored the color coded them in three different colors and so I was I was playing with the idea that this circle of a of a process right this coaching process has three phases and there's three colors and I thought an abstract version of that model would be a nice way to depict the front cover so that's, that's awesome. how that came about
0: and do you do you have any other way that we can look at your paintings or are they they basically. Do you have? Do you sell them? Do you exhibit or anything like that?
1: I have uh, had a, had several paintings in a art gallery uh, in Petaluma, California. Just a kind of a small art gallery um, for some time. But I'm right now. I haven't been because of the book. Actually, writing the book. I've stro- I've you know need to get back to my painting. But it is a passion.
0: Huh. It's all consuming. Writing and marketing a book. I attended a virtual um, launch or, you know, exhibit uh, the other day. And this particular artist, he goes to mountaintops. So he's he's an extreme painter, he calls himself. And he he goes to all these mountains and different places and then paints in the the wind and the snow and the storms. And he paints white on white. But uh, I I didn't quite get it myself. But anyway, everyone to their own. Wow.
1: Wow, and I suppose white on white—not just for snow, s- snow landscapes, but maybe different different tones of white. I guess.
0: I know. I was like thinking, what kind of room would that fit in? Like a white on white painting. You have to have—I don't know—different d- color walls in order to accentuate the white on white. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> um, Lisa, congratulations on your book. I really, really enjoyed it. Leading for learning and uh, what led you to writing it and can you give us a brief overview of it
1: mhm well what led me to write it was that gosh really um, i've developed a program for many years ago maybe 10 years ago to teach managers how to coach mm. and it's a it's been a it was a two-day program and i and you know i've taught it um for a long time along with my business partner and maybe dozens and dozens of times and it's been presented in nine languages by our associate faculty and it's really been a labor of love because why I wanted to write it is I noticed that working with people managers for 25 years that they've never really been taught how to lead people mm. and so after you know, they're technical specialists in their functions. They know a lot, but those technical leaders get promoted because they're very good at what they do, but not necessarily because they know how to lead anyone, but they're somehow through osmosis, managers somehow need to know how to lead others and how to think developmentally and how to coach them and all of the skills that go with that, which just are really not taught. Mm -hmm. And so it's been such an important part of um, my thinking around how to develop people because I'm such a learner myself. And maybe I'm, I've always been curious about how, you know, how do I learn and how do I understand things and pick up new skills? And so this program, I, you know, we developed over these last years and finally I said, okay, now I need to formalize this. Mm -hmm. I need to just put this down into a book and actually get it out there because there have been thousands of people who have had this program and I thought it was time to to make it more concrete of a you know kind of a culminating act not that I'm done teaching it but still it's it seemed like the right thing to do is to actually put it down and disseminate it better so i guess my curio- my curiosity my my empathy was for all those people managers who never really had really never have thought too much about helping other people develop not only their ability to know more about the technical side of what they do, but mm-hmm. how do they help people accelerate their thinking, accelerate their learning, empowering them really to be better leaders, not just better better um, knowledge workers or I should say I should say kind of technicians or whatever field they're in. Yeah. So
0: not not just approving leave forms and stuff like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean what what you know organizations so mm. much need to engage people and really that's the crux of the book which is there's there's so many benefits to coaching that is almost you know listing it is almost um overwhelming in terms of how important it is in in my mind because mm. You know, I know that I'm motivated by knowing how to, by, I'm motivated by learning and by now not everybody is motivated by learning, but they're motivated by something. And if people leaders don't know what people are motivated by, they are kind of leading with one hand tied behind their back Mm -hmm. because we need to be engaged in the work we do. Young people in particular are no longer interested in just working for work's sake um, life in the world is moving very quickly. We need to be learners. We need to keep up. So there's, you know, and and in these times, like just thinking about COVID, you know, there's um, coaching is a is a one-on-one um, experience where people can feel seen and heard and and held um, in that they are being noticed and that somebody is paying attention. And so it is a it is a way to kind of stabilize a person or a group or a workforce coaching on mass in that it's an opportunity for people to speak and be heard and actually to connect with what they care about and to translate that into a higher performing individual through that personal connection and through the process of coaching, which connects what needs to get done in the workplace with, with um, what that person cares about, what is their motivation. And that is the formula that I have been developing for for, for quite a, quite a few years now and is, and is the content of this book. Mm.
0: And that's incredibly rare actually, because I, I'm 50, I, I just turned 50. and so I've been working for you know 30 years. And I can honestly say that I've never had a manager who's a coach. And so I think it's although it would be wonderful, it's very rare. And maybe I'll start with the first basic question because I had breakfast with a friend of mine last week, and she's a manager. She's got nine people reporting to her, and she said she just doesn't have time to you know give people individual attention, etc., and to work with them. But do you think as a manager is is a manager expected to coach as part of their basic uh, role that they have as a manager?
1: Absolutely. I, I think mm. it gets. For some reason, which I really I really find fascinating, when individuals get a promotion to a people leadership role, and then the one after that, and then the one after that, and the one after that, somehow the focus always tends to be on, you know, setting vision, important, but setting vision, leading, but what, what does leading really mean? Um, mm. you, you know, people lead and there needs to be a follower there needs to be somebody who is engaged with that individual, and as the famous saying goes, people don't leave companies; they leave people. They leave yeah. their manager. Yeah. And so, you know, there's something about um, getting to, getting a people leadership position and not quite, cap, you know, capturing in their brain that that means that they are responsible for the development and learning of the people who are reporting to them. This is a, an incredible opportunity. And the, the line about not having enough time is very, very common. And yet the leap of faith that people seem to talk about, but not actually spend enough time doing is, is you know getting the skills that help them create high-performing teams so that those people leaders don't have to work so manically that they are able to create teams that are self-managing, that are engaged, that are motivating and that step up and lead pieces of the work that maybe that people leader was doing prior. So they're working so hard. And yet if they just reallocated their time, they may find that they are actually in much better hands because their team is there for each other. They're there for them. And they're just getting a lot more done. So mm. there's so much to say about that. But one little thing I'll add before I, um, you know, one little thing I'll add is this concept of discretionary effort. There is a number of studies that show that individuals, when they are engaged, they give more time and energy to what they're doing than they would if they're not engaged. It's kind of logical but what's fascinating is that you know this 15 to 25% more effort that we give because we want to is what people managers are leaving on the table if they don't ensure that people are engaged and motivated and growing and learning and and so imagine somebody's team is actually 25% more productive they're mm. putting in more effort now let's talk about how much time it takes to coach, because if you've got, say, five people reporting to you or seven people reporting to you and everybody is giving 25 percent more effort, there are studies that show that the organizational res- result is a quantifiable solid increase of output. And so why wouldn't we be doing that? Because it's a scalable way. It's a it's a it's a way that we can put in a certain amount of energy and effort and get a lot more back.
0: And and I think so that's I I really love that. But I think at the at the heart, you need a company that really values people. Because I maybe I've had bad experiences or been, you know, in, in bad companies in a way. They a lot of companies value like look at people and employees as cogs in the system and they just need to do their role. Uh, you know, if, if they're not going to do their role, we're going to replace you. There's plenty of other people who are looking for jobs and say, you know, you're dispensable. You're out the door. And so I suppose it's just a change of attitude towards your people to say, like, we really value you. We're going to improve you. We're going to give time for our managers to give input into you. We're going to coach our managers to do that. I guess that's the, the, the first step in, in, in putting that in place.
1: Yes and no. It is Very useful if leaders talk about human resources as, you know, in almost a, you know, that first of all, human. (laughs) And and that also, though, they really believe, they really believe in this philosophy where that when, you know, budgets are tight, they don't cut learning and development, for example. Mm -hmm. We have a client right now who, when the new CEO came, decided he was no longer going to cut the learning and development budget when things got tight. And for 10 years, continued to prioritize that, even though it was a tough choice. And so it's those kinds of leaders that do make a difference because they are, even if they, you know, so they want to walk the talk and they want to make sure that their practices that You know, are are commensurate with what they're saying, and so that helps a lot. Nonetheless, even if one finds oneself in a company that um, doesn't seem to quote unquote value uh, leadership or development or growth, uh, people growth, etc., leaders themselves can create a environment and a kind of a sweet spot in the organization where they draw people toward them because they become famous for being great leaders. And so people want to transfer to their team and their teams become high performing because of the leader there in that spot in the organization. And so I encourage leaders to think about that in terms of how can they be a a sweet spot in the organization where people are really becoming a team and it's attractive place to work within the organization, people wanna come work for them and then allow that to kind of virally grow and so that leaders within an organization, in the middle of organizations can be a very big impetus for change in the organization because if enough people ask for something, senior leaders often respond. And so even if it starts from the middle of the organization and works outwards instead of top-down, it, it can still be very transformational. And this is in fact, this program, this program, which 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 we call manager as coach. We have a manager as coach one and a manager of coach two. It began began in a engineering department in one site of a global organization. And it went viral because people liked it. And then suddenly boom, 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 boom. And we were teaching it all over the world. And then oh. corporate the corporate group Adopted it as a requirement for all people leaders, and so then it became a top-down organization. So that's an example of how it can grow within an organization and change, and change lives really, and change orientations, and change um, uh, the way people think about the importance of of a particular skill set at the very least, if not learning and development in general.
0: Mm. Yeah, that is excellent. So you be the change. You 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 know, it's up to you. In a way, even if your company doesn't adhere to it right now, you can always change because of your, your, you know, what you're doing within an organisation, with, as you doing as a leader. I, I just want to remind everyone that we listen. We're talking to Lisa Koss, and she has written an excellent book called Leading for Learning. So, Lisa, we've convinced we all need to be coaches, and we all need to do <laughs> developmental coaching. Um, You've put together a model around that, around development coaching model. Could you take us through the basis of this model and you know, what it, the different aspects of it?
1: Mm-hmm. There are three phases in this model. It's a seven-step model. When you look at it, you might say, well, that makes sense. And that's a great thing, that it makes sense, first of all. But what people often don't know is how to guide a conversation. And of course, this is why models exist, right? They take some of the anxiety out of having a conversation that where they're really not sure how to move through it and they're just winging it. So if I want to give somebody some sort of coaching uh, maybe it starts with a sort of a sense that something's not right, or maybe something is right and you want to talk about it. How can that person do more of it? Or how can that person pay attention to something that they're doing so that they can become more effective? As people leaders, sometimes it's not clear, like, how do I get from A to B? How do I have this conversation? I just start a conversation and then we wind around and see where we land and try to end up with some go-dos. Yeah. Um, what, is, what is the process? And that's what I'm <laughs> course, this model is, is is giving a framework for people who are guiding these conversations of how to navigate. And so the one thing about coaching that makes it different from other kinds of communication is that you have a conversation about the conversation. At least this is the way I think about coaching in that you are setting up a kind of a psychological agreement about what are we talking about here? And what we're talking about here is two things at once. It's both the business need, what's going on from a business perspective and how that connects with the person, herself or himself. And so how do you combine these two concepts so that it's aligned? It's not just talking about personal or professional development, or it's not just how do we fix this thing going on in the business. This model is integrating those two ideas so that it's a win-win-win, really. And through this concept in phase two of the model, which is just contracting, I call it contracting, but not like writing and signing a document contracting, but a psychological contract. Hey, what are we talking about? Why does it matter? Um, What do I actually want from you? Uh, What's the development that's that's, what's the dilemma for you in this? Like, what's the hard part? What gets in the way um, of doing more of this or doing less of this? Like, what what is that about? So it's really an exploration of assumptions and theories and staying in the in the in the exploration of what's going on here instead of some of the more traditional coaching models. The famous one is always the grow model. I don't know if you've heard of that. I don't. Famous, no, I haven't. Yeah. It's, it's, this, this, it's this model that talks about really filling the gap. Like, where are you? Where do you want to be? What are we going to uh, do to get there?
0: Five and 10-year goals and stuff.
1: Yeah. And <laughs> nothing, not, just kind of goals. And so yeah. there's nothing wrong. Of course, there's nothing wrong with goals. But oftentimes, models or, or even um, people development conversations are all about how do I change what I'm doing? How do you change who you are? where this model it stays more in the present about what is it about what's happening right now that creates what's happening so it's it's a little bit more of you know what's true for me from a developmental perspective and what what's in it for me to actually move toward doing something a little bit different or exploring that aspect a little bit more so the contracting piece is comes Second, the first piece is about trust and creating a climate of trust and trust is such a fascinating topic. And, mm. and um, I've, this chapter I've written about it is trying to scratch at trust in a very pragmatic way about how to think about trust holistically with somebody as well as what you can do in the moment to generate more trust, to get going in the conversation itself. A lot of people are afraid of even sitting down for a coaching conversation. Um, and w- you know, will they be rejected? Will they be accepted? Will they get resistance? Will there be, you know, will somebody get offended? So there's 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 material about how do you think about that? And then going into this contracting idea of, hey, this is what I want from you. Here's what my theory is of what's getting in the way, and you know why I think it's it's something you might pay attention to. What's in it for you? Mm and then agreement on that agreement on that dilemma agreement on the development is so important not just sliding into what should we do about it but actually having that person fully agree and engage on this topic and then move forward to working it through which is the third part of the model
0: and i want to get onto trust now but what what i what came to my mind and when i was listening to you now is that a manager then needs to realize that they might lose their, their person if they go through this process. So they, they need to be selfless in a way in order to have the best interests of you know, their, their employee to such an extent that they'll grow and develop until they're no longer even at the company anymore, at least not reporting to them. So I suppose it needs to be that realization for the manager that that might happen as well.
1: Yeah, the the you mean that they would maybe not engage well, and therefore there would be danger in it. No,
0: no, I just mean that if you've got you know someone who works for you and you really like, and they prefer, you know, they do good work for you, but uh, you you know you see that they've got such abundant skills in one area that you want to help them in the coaching efforts to improve that area, and to you know, give them you know objectives that might lead them to another part of the organization entirely or even to something else. They might start working for themselves or do whatever. But the realization that because of your coaching and your input into their lives, that you might lose a valuable employee from your team.
1: Yes. I've actually <laughs> heard that from a senior leader in one of our current clients who, who said exactly that thing, that it's, it's so frustrating because he's a person who likes to develop people and does a good job at it. And then they then they leave because they find they, <laughs> they, they get more empowered. they get more confident. Mm. And at the same time, what's the alternative, right? Do we really yeah. want the opposite? And so, you know, I think it is selfless. And I think that is one of the ways that people build trust. And they quite frankly build a reputation and they build a legacy because they are actually care about people the, and the they have their best interests at heart. It is selfless. And, that is actually the the definition that I use in the book, which is that there's two pieces of trust. One is the person has to feel that you have their best interest at heart. And the person has to feel that you're competent in a way that relates to what's going on right now, whether it's that coaching itself or whether it's the topic at hand, they need to trust that what you're saying or what you're doing is is smart or is sort of makes sense and that's why again leading somebody through a coaching conversation in a you know fairly competent way will do a lot for the result that you have which is therefore you know you need to you know skill up skill up in how to have these conversations so that people feel safe that you are guiding them and leading them and that you care about them
0: and you, you spoke about grow and the different ways that organizations have done the you know the development of their of their staff. And I've invariably you know sat down with my manager at the beginning of the financial year and said, you know, these are my objectives, these are my KPIs, this is how I want to grow in two to five to ten years' time. And the the trouble and I'd love to talk to you about trust now but the trouble is that you don't want to be truthful in these documents because they might have repercussions and they like you know if you put down that you actually want to grow in a particular area in five or ten years that might not be so good to put in writing what do you think of those you know performance plans do you think they work do you think they should be something that you write down or is it more a verbal type of ag- agreement with your with your manager?
1: No, I, I think you, they definitely should be something written down, but what I often say to my coaching clients is that you can have two sets of goals. You can have your, um, you can have your goals, two or three goals that you are working on with the support of your manager that align with what everybody needs and you might have one or two personal goals. Imagine for a moment that one of your goals was to um, be more confident speaking to your manager <laughs> or, um, you know, that you um, have trouble trusting people. Maybe for some reason you you don't trust your organization to have that information and you just want to work on the side with your coach about these and integrate it into the coaching. Uh, I think that's perfectly normal. The very first thing you need to have is actually confidentiality. And sometimes it's not um, people don't feel safe and that their information will be held confident and confidential. And so mm. I would say that with a coach um, now, granted when your coach that's, I'm talking about a professional coach, aren't I in this moment, yes. managerial coach, I think you do have to be a little strategic um, in, in what you work through, depending on your environment um and that's where it's good to have an external coach quite frankly because you can yes. speak completely transparently and that's such a relief and that's why you know also you know we do a lot of coaching here and do a lot of and 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 many leaders recognize how important it is to use external coaches so that people can get after what they most need to work on and then just be happy for them if they feel their need to move on or to move to a different location or to, you know, take a promotion. I mean, this is, this is, this is good for the world, right? That people develop themselves and feel fulfilled. And if you help somebody do that, there's no doubt they wouldn't be grateful for that opportunity. And that, you know, you trust that that will come back to you in some, in some way as a leader and as you <laughs> from a reputation perspective and, and from a legacy perspective.
0: Yes, and I, I suppose maybe I'm being a bit silly really with these questions because, you know, if you wanted to be something like a guitar teacher or a musician or something like that, that wouldn't be helpful to discuss with your manager. <laughs> so you'd need to right. do that on your own. Yeah, you, know, you, you want to be a motivational speaker or whatever you want to do as your side hustle or anything or, you know, something that you want to do in a few years' time is not really worth speaking to your manager about that's not going to interest them, really.
1: Oh, and yet, and yet, what's interesting about motivational speaker, I could imagine a lot of developmental opportunities where somebody could find themselves um, presenting much more than they do because Mm. they talk with their manager about their interest in becoming a, a better speaker for some future career opportunity. Even if that was out in the open, I could see that being very much a win-win for the next number of years, especially if you can continue to help them develop and develop and it's a win-win as is even guitar. So here's a funny little story. (laughs) We have actually a a client who is a guitar player and uh, aspiring kind of a amateur um, but talented um, guitarist. And given COVID, one of the things that he began doing in the organization was on the weekends, gathering the other musicians in the company and doing online online um, kind of concerts and letting everybody hear them play um, wow. on the weekends as a way to build, um, community, and and to build all, community. And Yeah, that's around. amazing. Awesome. And so if I knew one of my employees was looking to become a, even a professional guitarist, I might say, great. So what's your timeline? And you know do you have any ideas of how this could be uh you know how, how it could tie into what you're doing today or how it could fit with the vision of us as a company. I mean, who knows what ideas people can come up with about how it how it fits and whether it's a an event or you know, allow people to shine in the way and maybe that person decides to stay because they're actually getting that that itch scratched that they want to be creative in a different kind of way, but there's a place for them at the organization.
0: That's amazing. That's incredible. I, last year, I tried to start my own business, and it, it, it was around exponential growth. And you know, working for the IT company that I left, it would have maybe fitted in with what they were doing, because it's like how you grow and faster, ten x, and I like a Facebook and a you know Airbnb, etc. And one of the questions I was asked first when I when I ventured into this avenue was have you told your company about it? Isn't there room in your company for you to help them grow a division exponentially or a part of the business exponentially? And my unfortunately, my immediate reaction was no, there's no, there's no scope for me to do that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that people reading your book or engaging with you are not changing. And so you've got organizations and managers who will incorporate almost anything into, you know, into the company. In order to see you grow, to see you thrive, and it has an impact on the company. That's absolutely wonderful. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Yeah, yeah, and of course, (laughs) it's 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 depending on how you know every manager has an open, you know, is is more or less open-minded and creative and innovative and developmentally minded. So in every organization, you're going to have everything. And so Mm. to the extent that we, as you know people who work in organizations want to work for clients want to work for managers who are open minded and thoughtful about these things these this is our this is our choice right of, of where we work and so we do we are empowered to change the environment that we're in if it's not working out for us and of course you know um, there's opportunity everywhere for talented people I'm I'm a huge advocate of of, you know, knowing that good people, they do land, you know, good people tend to land well, even if they need to leave where they currently are to find a new environment to work in uh, that suits their, that suits their needs and that suits um, their interest in growing.
0: That is brilliant. So Lisa, you are the co-founder and partner of Ontus Global, um, which has services you know related to to what you've been speaking about could you tell us a little bit about ONTIS global and you know how it works and which regions it operates in etc mm-hmm.
1: so we have a couple of uh, main core practice areas and the one that we do the most work in is leadership and development work where we're <laughs> uh, designing experiences for um, organizations for our clients that want something to happen. And just like coaching, there's an intersection between what the business needs and what people need. And so, to the extent that people can grow toward where the organization is moving, that's a very good thing. And so, whether it's the organization is transforming, um, like some of our clients are transforming, some of our clients are scaling massively, they're they're taking on new acquisitions and, and their people need to keep up and they, they need to continue to learn and grow. How do now I manage more? How can I lead when my scope has tripled? How do I get my work done through others? Um, how do I create a, a resiliency inside of me so that I don't burn out with all these Zoom calls? Who am I? What do I want? And how do I get there? Are really the three core questions that we work with as it relates to the, the business goals as well. And so we we very much partner with organizations over long periods of time. Quite frankly, we have long relationships with our clients because we're we're very devoted and dedicated to them and believe in this notion of people development as a way to grow um, both, you know, organizations as well as just a better better kinder world. So when people are integrated, I think that they put out better energy in the world and, and you know the world becomes a better place. So le- leadership and development for me is you know is, is, a, is you know my favorite place to be and it's all about everything from coaching to team workout, kinds of custom uh, designs of you know helping teams get cohere and to get to where they want, as well as organizations themselves, which is the, the second branch of what we work on, which is transformational change and um, helping organizations uh, transition to a different kind of um, thought process really about how they're gonna get from A to B. So we have a whole technology underneath how how we do that. And um, that's the second branch. And then the third is we have a talent management area where we help organizations um, get their infrastructure right so that people can understand what's expected them from them at every level in the organization so that if they want to move and grow that they know what success looks like in those other roles and in those other functions if they even want if they want to change functions and so we work from both the kind of um, the structural side as well as the behavioral side of people development and leadership and that's kind of rare to find people who work at both on both sides of the equation both the kind of the structure as well as how people show up every day in, in their roles. So we are located in based in California and we have uh, associates all over the world. We actually have an associate in South Africa. We have have, um, most of our, our, our people are in uh, Europe and then we have a a handful of people in the, in the U S and we also have somebody in Colombia. And so we have, we have kind of a, a global team that works with us on our, this coaching program that we have and and on other initiatives as we need them from a from a um, capacity and competency and language perspective so that's why we call ourselves global
0: well depending on your feedback uh, i might be interviewing you know dr david whites in the next few weeks on culture so i've spoken to you around leadership and then maybe around culture which is you know the other area that you spoke about that uh, antus global does and i look at your clients and case studies and they're an unbelievably impressive list of of Uh, case studies and references there like all sorts of different um, companies that you've dealt with and then one other thing uh, what we believe in I it's I've never seen a website or a company with such a comprehensive list of guiding principles (laughs) did you put that down at the beginning of your uh, when you set up Ontis Global or is it something that has evolved over time
1: Uh, no we put it down at the beginning we put Mm -hmm. it down the beginning and they you know it's I once, we once had a client when we were, we were doing some ground rules at the beginning of a, of an event of a, like a year long program, executive development program, which is a lot of what we, what we do are these executive development programs. And, and um, we were establishing these group norms. And this person in the group said, you know, our, our group, I mean, are these things really relevant? You know, we always go through this exercise of, you know, what do we care about? What do we do? You know, what do we, you know, what do we think? And then, you know, they just kind of go off to the wayside and we never look at them again. Is this really important? And, you know, what I say is ground rules are never important until they are. Yeah. In other words, something goes sideways or somebody is sort of, you know, exhibiting some behavior that's you know could be sabotaging or sort of naysaying or you know doing something that the that the group is having trouble dealing with this is the time to go back to ground rules and it's the same thing for organizations like Antos where you know when we feel lost or when we feel unclear about what to do we can go back to our ground rules and say wait a minute we've we've promised a positive experience to bring positivity to organizations which is one of our ground rules and so being positive is such an important ground rule for me personally, because people have enough to deal with every day. They don't, they, they, need, to, they need to have an experience with us that mm. is ultimately positive, even though it could be hard, even though it could be challenging, it's still growth-filled, it's still care-filled and therefore is positive. Because we actually, you know, bringing that care to organizations is what seems so needed in the world, and and attention to people. So it's it's great to have a set of rules to live by, to orient yourself when when you're you're needing a little orientation either for yourself or 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 for or for others. So
0: absolutely, and yeah. it's it's worked very well for Amazon to have some guiding principles. <laughs> um, <laughs> I work as a salesperson and my you know, sales director said, at the very least, you can be like positive and energetic and, you know, up, you know be, a, be something, someone that will uplift their day that you deal with, because you're right, there's so much doom and gloom out there. That you need, like, it helps to speak to someone who's got a positive outlook on life and who wants to help them and wants to get involved and wants to assist. So I fully agree with you completely. So, Lisa, thank you so much for joining. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you so much for your book, Leading for Learning. I really enjoyed it and thank you so much for it. I hope it has a huge impact on the world.
1: Thank you, Lance. I appreciate the invitation to speak and I look forward to um, interviewing you about your business uh, sometime in the future. I've, I've I've had a lovely time with you. Thank you so much. Great. And I hope you, the
0: listener, found this as interesting and useful as I did. I'll have all of Lisa's details and contact details that you can look up on her website and find her on LinkedIn. If you'd like to contact me, then please do. My email is lance at lance.ideastorm.ca and my website is www.ideastorm.ca or you can go to the business bookshelfpodcast.com, which is a bit longer, but anyway. And, and if you've got an author that you've enjoyed and you'd like me to interview, please let me know and I'll try and get them onto the show and to interview them. So thank you very much again, Lisa. Until next time, stay well, stay safe. And I think we are on the way out of COVID. Let's all hold thumbs. So thank you. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, yes. (laughs) Thank you, Lisa. Bye-bye. Bye.